Hello, and welcome to the Rise and Thrive Show podcast. I'm Erin Warhol, and I'm happy to be back with another recording with Mary Hayes Greco. Hello, Erin. Hey, Mary. Yeah. And today we have another guest, which I'm so excited to to, uh, listen to this conversation. Therapist Darla McEnroe is joining us, Mary. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Darla and then we'll bring her into the conversation. Okay. Um, Darla and I go way back these days. Darla has been traveling with me as a deep student in my self-mastery program for, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, Darla. Yep. She's taken the program several times. And uh, I, I have so much admiration for Darla as a person and as a therapist and as someone who's really working hard and well in her work as a therapist to, to bring healing and upliftment to lots of people. So we want to talk today about Darla's pathway as a healer and what she's observing and uh, learning in about the field of psychology itself being on kind of a journey. So uh, we'll be talking about some of the the gems that she's uh, picked up along the way and also how she uh, incorporates the forgiveness work that I have trained her in into her life and into her practice. So Darla, how about if you tell our friends listening um, your basics, your basic uh, credentials, what you're up to um, as a therapist? Yeah, Mary, thank you very much. And Erin, good to be here. I am, yeah, like Mary said, I have been at this for some time, this meaning as a therapist and a practitioner, as well as a seeker of my own healing journey um, for 25 plus years, at least, if not more, um, as a therapist anyway. Yeah, I, I am, my training goes back, you know, to, to, like the humanistic um, transpersonal. I was kind of trained at Drake University back in, graduated in 1991, went to work for Catholic Charities as a therapist right out of graduate school, fresh and ready to heal the world. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. <laughs> here I am, um, decades later, doing the same thing. And um, yeah, I, I, I feel very um, blessed and privileged to be a part of the healing journey, well, not only for myself and other people and get to witness wonderful transformations and growth and healing on a daily basis. So that's what you're in it for, right? That's what I'm in it for. So yes. you're a, a licensed social worker doing therapy in a clinic. And you also have had a big appetite I have seen for uh, learning more and training more and uh, diving into this mode and that mode and putting them into practice with yourself and with your clients. What are some of the um, extra trainings you've done over the years that enhanced your understanding of how people heal? Yeah, just like Mary said, I'm really, I really like to learn the cutting edge modalities that are out there. There's so many and they're wonderfully, you know, creative and powerful and innovative. And I just, I I can't get enough, just like Mary said sometimes. So I, I have been a seeker and find new and exciting 
um, modalities that help, especially with trauma. This, this came about kind of from my own path and my own need to heal some of my own trauma. So um, holographic memory resolution is one of them and EMDR, which is a cutting edge trauma treatment. Um, it's kind of a, a sad fact that I'm a trauma um, expert. <laughs> it's bittersweet. Yes, you I had, say. You had yeah. a lifelong <laughs> training in yeah. trauma lifelong healing. You had a very in-depth personal training in trauma healing. So right. you have been your own laboratory, like many psychologists and social workers are, been their own laboratory. I'm just curious, do you remember when, um, when you decided to become a therapist? Do you remember kind of what led up to that or, or what kind of clicked in your brain that made you want to say, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm going to school for that now because what was, what was calling you about that? Well, I definitely say that this field picked me. Um, it, it, it was a kind of a series of synchronistic events, um, I, very profound ones for me. Um, within a matter of two weeks, I was on my way to go into Drake University in um, a master's level counseling program. My undergraduate was in art. And um, but I, I am really intrigued right now. You said a series of profound synchronicity events. Could you share one of them with us? Well, just the fact that um, I was doing my internship at the YWCA, which was a social um, service agency on campus and my direct supervisor, I was doing all the flyers for the events. And she just said, Darla, you would be a really good social worker. Have you ever thought about that here? And I said, well, no, I'm interested in all of this. And I kind of feel like I've been in training for this field ever since I was three, just from my own family <laughs> history, right? Um, <laughs> certainly know enough about it. Um, but anyway, she handed me a card to call this person at Drake University, set up an interview. I just did. The, I just followed the directions within two weeks and I was heading off to Drake University with a full, with a scholarship and a graduate assistantship, which I would not have been able to pay for college, a, a master's program at Drake. Wow. Very so you heard about it one day and you just got on the train. You just you just headed that direction because it had. Here I am 20, you know, decades later doing this job. Mm. So I, I have always said that this really picked me. Um, and I mean that um, literally, and I loved it. I got into graduate school and I got a 3.8 grade point average first time in my life, you know, just because I was so interested in all of the, all the classes and um got out of there, you know, and started my career. And um, I really have been blessed and thankful ever since. Um, it's been mm -hmm. a wild ride. But yeah, that's pretty profound. I would say that's one of the most synchronistic events of my life. Mm -hmm. I imagine that when she said that to you, something in you lit up something and you responded like uh, yeah yes. I, I'm like well it, I I don't know if it was so much that Mary other than I just followed the directions <laughs> you know, it was mm -hmm. like there was no there was no decision it was just okay I'll do that okay I'll do that <laughs> I'll do the next step and the okay, next here step. we go yep yes fantastic fantastic and now 25 years later here you are working full-time 
at Catholic Charities again. You had done some other stints in private practice, but you're back at Catholic Charities in Iowa. And I just wanted to say, I just want to share with the listeners that I just admire you so much because when you and I talk about your work week, I get tired just hearing about it. I just, I'm like, oh, MG, that is such heavy lifting you are doing in the human populace every week. Um, and it seems to me from what you've said, uh, and, and, and never mind that you also commute 40 minutes each way to do this. And you've also, you know, kind of organically risen in leadership in certain positions there and are are kind of influencing people at this point, seems like. But it's, uh, I I am really intrigued when you talk about your your week and and also the things that you you do to balance yourself out and be able to do this kind of, this kind of big practice that you do in in your clinic. But um, I wanted to just comb back through a couple of these uh, modalities that we mentioned before, because, you know, the field of psychology, I'm sure you agree, is just, it's just exploding with uh, new insight and new ways. And, And the conversation in our culture about mental health is one of the big conversations all the time and um it's i'm it's uh it seems like it's in some ways you know coming into its own as a really important part of people's life is our our mental health and what we do about that so back and back to trauma i think a lot of people are now have had some experience with emdr but could you describe that a little bit for people who haven't what is emdr and when do you choose to use it with people um, yes, with the EMDR, Mary, that is it, everything in psychology and mental health has to have alphabet soups, right? Like EMDR, CBT, HMR. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't right. think, unless you make it an alphabet, uh, then it's not quite a modality yet. But EMDR is actually um, well-researched, well-established, um, getting into the mainstream as a trauma treatment for people who have post-traumatic stress, whether it's complex trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and-, and the letters are the letters are eye movement, desensitization, reprogramming. Is that it? That's it. Yeah. So it really is a modality that deals with as you're thinking about a traumatic event and if you hold it in place for a moment in time with the help of a therapist. And we use bilateral stimulation, which is really like a right left movement, whether it's tapping or eye movement, it will help process old memories, stuck memories, body sensations. So, and is that left right thing because you're getting the left and the right brain involved? I know I've done a few stints of it and I've, I've um, and it was very helpful for my poor traumatized brain. Uh, and one time it was with lights on a bar, like look, look left and right on these lights with your eyes going kind of back and forth. And another time it was a tone in my ear, you know, beep, 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 back and forth between left and right. And another time it was little paddles I was holding in my hands that we're putting a little um, electrical impulse or vibe, you know, buzz, 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 left, right, left, right. Are are those the three main ways that people do EMDR to process a memory? 
Yeah, they are. Those are exactly that's that's the main part there. You can also use a little bit of light tapping um, on yourself or have somebody do that for you, especially with kids that can help um, right, left taps back and forth. Um, But yes, it, it definitely is the right, left, right brain, left brain talking to each other. Um, you know, um, there's a lot of science behind it. And I tell my clients and people that, you know, I, that's not my, I I really can't tell you exactly why this works, but you know, um, because there's science behind it, you can find out the science behind it and it can explain it better than I can. But as I recall the process, what I, what I figured out I was doing was I am taking a memory that is normally very painful and upsetting and triggers behaviors and responses that I don't want. And I'm holding it side by side with uh, an image or a picture of of some, or a feeling of feeling really safe, being safe. And somehow I'm getting the brain to put safety, the feeling of safety into that space where there's normally a different reaction. Is that accurate what I'm saying? Yep, that's accurate. And what you're doing is you're getting the your brain's getting the message that that bad that bad thing is over, and you've you've survived mm-hmm. that. You know that on one level, but the other level, the other levels do not know that. And so that is what is healing and powerful for people to get out of those stuck places, and um, be able to realize that in the present moment they're fine. It, it they survived that bad thing isn't happening anymore and they can move on. It, you know, you can still think about the event or remember it, but you're not, you're not in it anymore. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty profound. And it's really wonderful to watch somebody move through that and get the relief that they What have. is that like? Can you tell us more about um, what that's like? Well, it just seems like the people's face there, you know, they're physical, um, they feel lighter, you can see physically some relief coming over somebody's body, um, more positive images, they remember things about that, about what was happening around that time that is positive, that they couldn't oh. just before. Um, and usually people at the end of a 45 minute session, not, this doesn't happen all the time, but it does when you can process and people can feel safe and, uh, be able to move through the trauma, they feel lighter, they feel relief and they, and it sticks. That's the main Mm -hmm. part. It seems to me like, uh, I don't know when that started being, uh, you know, uh, adopted by therapists, but I think I was doing it for my own trauma healing about 25, 26 years ago. But it seems to me now that it's almost like uh, uh, a common tool in the toolbox of a lot of therapists. Is it getting to be something that people, therapists feel like they should be able to do for their clients? Yeah. Yes. Um, just recently in our agency, we, we got it. We received a grant where we were able to train at least five or six of our therapists to do EMDR. And, um, I mean, that can be up to a couple thousand dollars per therapist. So it was really great. 
And it is, it's mainstream. Um, about 30 years of research and, uh, you know, insurance will pay for it now. So that that is the journey of EMDR. It started off as a pretty um, wild, cutting edge alternative treatment and um, now is in the mainstream, which is wonderful to see and providing, it's just accepted now that people can do EMDR. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I have kind of had that feeling about it when I was first starting. It's like, this is weird, but good. And does this is really work. Oh, it does. Now, do people know about this? I don't know. But now I hear about it all the time that, that people are doing it. And um, so now wild and edgy continued uh, HMR, holistic memory reprocessing. Is that what it is? That one is called holographic memory oh, thank you. Uh, resolution. So okay. that is probably about where EMDR was 20 years ago. Um, it, mm -hmm. Another uh, cutting edge trauma treatment that I actually was trained in that before EMDR and um, am still um, involved, quite involved in that. Um, and, and that has been advanced by uh, Brent Baum, um, who who did kind of discovered it and developed it and has taught it in a variety of places um, and train is training therapists. And tell us a little bit about that trauma therapy and how that works. Yes. Yeah. Holographic memory resolution it came about, um, you know, it combines about three different modalities of um, psychology, which is a uh, color psychology, somatic psychology, and uh, just the regular cognitive behavioral um, psychology. So it's another way of processing trauma, but it has more of a resolution to it, I would say, in a, in a way where the, if you can kind of uh, imagine your subconscious mind being a movie projector, and that movie that's playing back there, um, has a series of images and pictures and it can affect your physical body as well. So that's where the, um, the mind and the body come together and we use the body to resolve the stuck memories. And it's pretty effective. I have had, I've had many sessions with that and with Brent on some of my own trauma and I've used it. We practice on each other, uh, different, um, practitioners, we do our own trauma work. And then, um, you know, even though it's not evidence-based and I do not, I do not practice it in my clinical position, I have used it on friends and family and on, you know, different people who would want to, um, try it. So interesting. Yeah. So yeah. that's interesting. So is your choice to not use it with your uh, therapy clients weekly? Is that because it, there isn't enough uh, studies of it yet? It's not, yeah. it's, yeah. it hasn't made it out of the weird zone into the, <laughs> yeah. this, this is science-based. <laughs> right. this, this is really yes. a thing zone. So I but, will say I there, you really like it a lot. I do really like it. And, and there's been some grants and some uh, there's research being conducted right now. And it's very, we have uh, Mary Gaddy, she's a neuroscientist who's on our board and helping us get the, get the clinical trials out there. And so it's going. And my hope is hmm. someday it will be offered to everybody just like EMDR. Nice. 
And now you mentioned also uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Did you also do a stint of training with that? I know that's been around and out there. And the treatment center I worked in for a long time uh, was using that extensively. Are you, are you able to tell us anything about that? Yeah, that's been a standard um, evidence-based modality that's been used in psychology for a long time, decades now. And kind of the, I would say the, the cog that keeps it all together, you know, and that's really dealing with mental health how our thoughts create our feelings and our feelings create our behaviors and how it's all connected. And this is something I wish we could teach in schools to kids and to people. Right. Like junior high. Yeah, right. exactly. As mental health, cognitive behavioral therapy should be something we all know about. And usually by the time people get into my office, you know, it's a retraining the brain, retraining how you think about things. And there's all kinds of cognitive distortions you know, with 60,000 thoughts in one day, the average brain has, and, and not all of those are positive or true, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it can cause a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of problems in our life with fun. a lot of dissonance, a lot of static and dissonance and uh, poor choices. So in this case, um, it sounds like there's a emphasis on becoming aware of what your thoughts are saying and uh, choosing some over others. Is that true? That's, that's true. And realizing that you can do that. And, um, you know, we're not our thoughts. That's what I tell people in my office, just because we have a thought doesn't make it true. And you can change your thoughts and you can challenge those. And is there a better way to think about things in this world? There's so many things we can't control, but how we think about things, that's the one thing we can and that's empowering to people. And it can... that really is. I had I once had a teacher uh, who influenced me a lot, um, who who said there's always one power that we have. We have one power in every situation, and that is the power to choose our point of view. Yep. And things flow from that. Like you said, we can't we can't control a lot of things. Um, now, now onwards into. Darla and the eight steps to freedom, the forgiveness work uh, taught by yours truly. Uh, you, you, I, I kind of have an image of you in my classroom, my my program at the end of each week, of just like wagging your tail enthusiastically, <laughs> like a really happy golden retriever yeah. or something. You just look so excited, like, oh, <laughs> more. A new tool, a new tool, right? A new tool. So tell me, tell me, you know, some of your appreciation for this particular method that um, the forgiveness method that I've been teaching, what, what do you love about it? How do you feel like it addresses uh, some people's issues more directly than the other tools do? Well, I think Mary, you've heard me talk about how it seems to be like eight, you know, those eight steps, you've taught this to me, they're packed for that. It's packed full of powerful tools. And um, I think you said Edith called it a recipe, correct? Like if you do these eight things and you do them. A recipe that always works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. That reliably works. 
I know early on, and I, you and I had conversations about this, it's like I can see all the different modalities that she put together in this recipe. And just like mm-hmm. ER and HMR, there definitely are, there's definitely a protocol and there's a way you do it and when you do it and how you do it in applying these modalities. So the eight steps is ingenious and just beautifully constructed and so powerful. I do see how it took eight different types of um, modalities and kind of put them together. Mm-hmm. Put them together in kind of a simple way. It's, simple it's disarmingly simple and, and powerful and elegant. You know, in my practice, you know, people come to me because they know that I'm, you know, I'm the forgiveness lady and that we're going to do forgiveness. And they come in with the expectation that, okay, we're going to focus and do this. We're going to take this after my initial intake session with someone where we kind of go over the landscape and we pick out the the several stories that need to get healed. We decide which one we're going to start with and they come in and, and I march through it in, in 90 minutes. We, we do 90 minute sessions and people go from the beginning to the middle, to the end of a particular story and and find healing but i'm thinking about um therapists and a lot of therapists i know tell me ah i don't have 90 minutes i don't have i don't have your occasional two-hour session with somebody with a big big story how do you manage to incorporate the eight-step journey of forgiveness with uh clients in your busy schedule and your busy clinic when you have what 50 minutes or an hour with people yeah Yeah, sometimes it's 45 minutes to 55 minutes or an hour Um, I tend to really go long with people which is is, (laughs) I get behind in a day sometimes because I do that but it's hard it's hard for me to just do a 45 minute session but sometimes that's called for because that's all insurance will pay for. So yeah, Mary, I actually, Mm -hmm. you know, I haven't always called it forgiveness. Um, I do when I, when it's appropriate, but sometimes I'll say anger management, it's an anger management tool can help Mm -hmm. people resolve anger and resentment, all kinds of emotions. It's not just anger, but it could be grief or, anxiety, resentment, fear. I mean, there's, there's some heavy disappointment. There's a lot of disappointment in life. Yep. There's a lot of emotions under anger. Usually Um, it's just the tip of the iceberg, but um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 so the question is how to get through that. It usually takes a couple of sessions and I will demonstrate, I can demonstrate the eight steps in one session And that's helpful for them to see the whole eight steps together because Mm -hmm. it gets tempting to do one or two of the steps and not finish it. And um, I don't want to, I really want people to see the whole uh, recipe and in Mm -hmm. action. And sometimes I'll pick, I'll just, we'll make something up and use the eight steps just so I can show them how you can do this pretty fast you know, and efficiently, but it's, it, and we practice so you give them a sample. You give them a sample example of, okay, so let's take, let's imagine this. Now let's take this story through the eight steps. Step one, we're going to use our will to pick a certain added, a new attitude and right. to move on. Step two, we're going to get our feelings out about it. So you, you kind of comb through these steps 
And do you pe see people starting to, you know, process it in their eyes? You see yes. them kind of like, ah, oh, you know, like putting their own story in that in that description, like, oh yeah, then I would do that. Oh, and then that happens. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, even after the first demonstration, we will actually use the, you know, if people have a certain person that they're dealing with in their life and they're upset with it, the next session, they want to put that person in the chair. You know, mm -hmm. they, they decided this person I'm going to deal with. And you so know, they come in more ready to go. They come yes, in like, okay, yep. I get, I get it. This makes sense. Let's do this. Or I will give them homework to do it on their own. You know, do you have people like journaling? Yep. Getting ready to process it and talk about the feelings, the cognitive, very similar to what you have us do in your groups. So it really is a step-by-step -step process. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that like me, when you have, when you're doing this work, you, you, you just really enjoy that moment, that pivotal moment when you see someone kind of go over the hump and let go, and let go of this, this uh, attachment to something that's been causing them to suffer. And again, I, I see that too, that their face changes or their, their, their skin tone changes, their posture changes. They maybe start laughing when they couldn't imagine laughing about it before. Are you watching for that moment and facilitating that moment? Yeah, it's a moment and sometimes it can move pretty darn fast. And, you know, within a couple of sessions, people are fine. You know, they're ready to move on. They're done with the mm -hmm. story, the resentment, the hurt, the anger. And, you know, we discharge them. I'm glad you said that because my teacher, Edith, who was, she was a PhD and a licensed psychologist, and she worked in a couple clinics and private practice and taught at a university and ran a couple retreat centers over her 45 year career. She, she saw thousands of people heal with this recipe, with this, with this method. And I, I thought this was kind of bold of her to say it, uh, but I think it's true. She said, it's not true that uh, healing in psychology has to take a very long time. That is an old notion of therapy. It is an old notion of psychology. What is needed is an effective method of forgiveness. Yes. That, that was her method. But I, I thought that was bold to say that because I, I don't know, it seems like historically, one of the reasons people don't want to do therapy is they feel like, oh, and then I'm going to be like slogging through the mud of my life for three years and weekly and spending a ton of money and all of that. But I think, you know, with, with these different modalities emerging that we're talking about, you know, it's possibly making it more possible for um, some people to choose to do therapy that people maybe who wouldn't have chosen to do it 10 years ago. Correct. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think, I think you're, you're right on to something because, and Edith was probably just ahead of her time, you know, uh, with, uh, mm -hmm. with the whole field going that way, especially with evidence-based practices and, you know, insurance, not wanting to pay for long-term therapy and it's really not needed. Actually, it, it, she's correct. I mean, um, 
there the the whole goal is to get out there and live your life right and to function and to be and to grow in an ongoing way it's like uh we don't it's not like we're going to therapy to fix ourselves up and get perfect and then be amazing it doesn't work that way we have to no we have to uh heal some things that are really obstacles for us and learn some ongoing uh behaviors and uh life skills and uh, ways of of moving through our lives that is growthful and it, it's you know it's it's the deal right is this what we're going to do in the rest of our lives is right. is leaning in stretching uh at letting go um adjusting you know and intending and and just becoming more and more conscious and growing i think growth is a big a big um you know, goal. And, and usually people on the other side of trauma and doing a lot of healing work, you know, they, they get it. They understand the, the relief that comes with that, but also the joy of, I tell people you, you trauma can give you gifts on the other end. You got to get to the other end to feel them mm-hmm. and implement mm-hmm. those. And some of those gifts are just like more empathy and more joy and deeper understanding of yourself and other people. Mm-hmm. In the in the forgiveness work, uh, we call it turning the wound into your wisdom. Yeah, there you go. It's beautiful. Because yeah. <laughs> like it's not a it's not a you know horrible accident that you had the life you have you know, and that these things happened along the way. This is your curriculum. This I mean that this is the way a mastery student views our traumas and our losses and our disappointments that there's a certain classroom we're in, there's a certain curriculum that we're studying in the laboratory of our lives. And I think with the gift of therapists like yourself and healers of all stripes is that every human wants to be the best version of themselves. They want to be the most elegant version of themselves, not the messy version of themselves. And um, so I'm just really grateful uh, for dedicated therapists like yourself who are in the trenches of human pain uh, Monday through Friday, a lot of weeks, um, lots of sessions, lots of time. So uh, let's talk a little bit about you and how do you deal with it? How do you deal with the load of of human dysfunction that you are shoveling off the planet with people that are willing to do their work? How, do you feel heavy at the end of the day or at the end of the week? How do you let go of some of these stories? How do you take care of Darla, the therapist? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, and part of it is by coming to your classes, Mary, remember? That was <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I'm doing this for myself and um, some of my own forgiveness work. Yeah, I, I use... I use a lot of these things almost on a daily basis. Um, and one of them is the eight steps of forgiveness. Sometimes I think you taught me this is like, I will put the whole day in the chair, you know, and forgive <laughs> the day, forgive the heavy load, forgive, you know, um, just feel disappointed all- expectations yeah. of this day of where the things day. didn't turn yes. out the way you were planning. No. And just all of the, the, the heavy load of the emotions, all the emotions I felt for the day. I don't do this every day, but it it feels like if it builds up over time, I have to do some of my own forgiveness work. And, um, 
it usually is just comes with the heavy load of carrying some of that with me and not letting it go. And Mm -hmm. you told me that you have a couple of tricks uh, that really help you um, do this, like do this daily heavy lifting. You, you told me that you have, you do some forgiveness work in your hot tub with the, with the jets on and the the colored lights and the. This is part of my self-care routine nightly. I, you will find me in the bathtub and doing some of this work. Um, It's the perfect place, you know, it's like nobody can get to you there and you're, you know, I have time. So I can imagine piling up the day at the end of the bathtub. That's my empty chair. Right. And, you know, going through all of the eight steps, the eight steps work great in that way. You know, like you just, I go through each of them, let it, let it all go. Feel my emotions, at least imagining feeling my emotions. I don't always do the whole, I mean, even if you imagine it, it's very powerful. And then listing all of my expectations, what I expected to have happened through the day, and it didn't. And I, you know, the disappointment, the hurt, the grief, the loss, the anger. Sometimes it's just the anger at the sheer volume of junk out there that people have to go through, right? And I don't want to carry that with me. It's not mine to carry, and it needs to go somewhere else. And so I let it go and I open myself up to getting my needs met and my needs are important. And that need, those needs are for my own, um, you know, getting enough sleep and eating well and focusing on my needs. I have needs as a human being to keep doing this work. I got to take care of myself. And Mm -hmm. so it's self-care for me as well. And um, I hear your commitment to that and how you're speaking about this. I hear that you're, you're very determined. And I, this is one of the things I I want to insert here too, is, is one of the things I admire about you, Darla, is uh, you're a very determined person. You were determined since you were a little girl from stories that I've heard you, you are determined and you were strong, you know, but even strong people can't, you know, carry along all the bad stories that we're asked to show up to. So I, I hear your determination for self-care in, in what you're saying. And um, I was also one time I was being sympathetic to you about, oh, and you have a 40 minute drive each way to work. And then you do all this work. As I said, I was feeling tired thinking about your yeah. life, <laughs> but you're like, no, I love my drive. I listen to books. I, I talk to myself. Is that part of your self-care, what you do with your drive? Yes, it's very much a part of myself. I'm, I'm grateful for it. I do. I listen to podcasts and I listen to books on tape, but I also listen to um, music and, you know, it's, it's a debriefing time to go get ready to go to work and to leave work where it's at. Mm-hmm. It's a good transition time. And, uh, Even if you're working in your home, they tell you to do that. Like, make sure you leave your work in one room and go, you know, have transition space. It's really, Mm. I think, for self-care. And at least it works. And you have to be kind of determined, right? I mean, it's just very easy to, to be sloppy. It's very easy to, like, lose our boundaries with the edges of our work and play and 
um, and be constantly working or a little bit constantly working or constantly social or a little bit constantly social. We, those boundaries, we're the only ones that can do them. You know, once you're once you're a grown up and your parent isn't telling you, you know, what you have to do next, you have to be determined to take care of this this instrument of yours, your your body mind. <laughs> and I really um, admire that. And I, I just really think that uh, it seems to me like like Darla, like like you, um, and I guess I guess all three of us here in on this podcast podcast. Uh, we're in it for the long game, right? We're, we don't want to burn out. Yes. We don't want to, you know, uh, exhaust ourselves or make ourselves sick. And we do want to do our gig, our healing, uplifting gig, do it well. So yes. it takes a certain amount of determination. Yes. Yes, it does. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, you, Mary, you talk about boundaries and that was, that's one of my favorite um, in your self-mastery class, you always do the different topics, right? Per month and mm -hmm. boundaries is one of them, one of my favorite ones. And I keep telling people that that is the, that's something I'm going to be working on probably the rest of my life. Um, I know I will. And it's, it's one area of, you know, we all have 24 hours in a day and trying to put, you know, take care of yourself and other people in, and I get so much joy out of helping other people. But if I don't have the vehicle, which is me to do it, it's not going to, it's not going to do any good. So boundaries are great, a great thing. And I, right. I mean, even if you're blessed enough to love your work um, as you are, and as I am, even if you're blessed enough to love your work, you can't, you can't work every minute. And you, you know, you, you have to balance it out with those other, other parts of yourself. So, yeah. And lessons learned for me is learning how to do that on a daily basis. And I'm sure I'm not alone with that, <laughs> no. right. We're all trying to struggle with that. So, but you know, the, the eight steps of forgiveness is part of that self-care for me. And so not only can I use it and teach other people, but I use it. And I let people know that. That, that gives your words some authority. I mean, anyone, anyone is encouraging someone to do something that they're a little scared to do. Uh, you just have more authority if it's something that you're really, truly living. And you know it's going to be good. You know this is going to be good. You will, you'll thank me later, really. You will not regret this. Yeah. You really do want to do this. <laughs> It is pretty amazing to feel the difference before the eight steps and after, right? Like it's, um, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's palpable and, and it's what we want. It, it leaves us lighter. It leaves us more authentically who we are, more of our soulfulness in our, in our bodies and in our day. And, uh, it's, um, I'm just eager to, uh, to keep, uh, plugging this tool of forgiveness with therapists. And um, over the years, I've been uh, able to train about 1,200 therapists um, in this method. I, I never heard back from any of them, so I, I, I don't even know where, where all that went, but I'm just imagining a, a ripple effect yes. out there. You know, some of you are, t are like falling in love with it and using it uh, consciously with your clients. So, well, I'm just uh, 
I'm just really glad we got this chance to hang out. And I'm just wondering, Aaron, do you have anything you want to? Um... I, I just want to say this was such a wonderful conversation to listen in on. And Darla, I've, I've known you for a number of years and just have enormous respect and appreciation for you. And this is the first time I think I've, I've been able to hear more deeply how you do your work as a therapist and how you incorporate these different modalities and the forgiveness work. And that's just such a treat to hear. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah. And I do have a question because you touched on this, but I'm, I'm curious about the word forgiveness. And so you work at Catholic charities. And so I think somebody coming in there might have an expectation that that would be a word that gets thrown around. But I know sometimes people have a funny relationship to even the concept or the word forgiveness, or maybe they have a misunderstanding. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you how you incorporate the idea of forgiveness into healing? Yeah, I mean, it really, you're right, Erin, it's like, it's even part of our mission statement at Catholic Charities, I, um, which I can't cite right off the top of my head, but it's in there, forgiveness is in there. And so, yeah, but when people come in for mental health therapy, or, you know, we see individuals, families, kids, you know, forgiveness isn't always on the top of their head. That isn't the first thing they're thinking of. And they're in their pain, their emotional pain, and they, you know, they want resolution. So sometimes that isn't the first word we use. And it doesn't have to be in my mind. At the end, people are usually on board with forgiveness. I think the biggest thing that I tell people is forgiveness is not about other people. It's about you, you being free and they get it, but I don't think that's how, what, how they think about forgiveness coming in. And um, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what that is and what it is all about. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a while of people kind of enumerating the the heaviness, the pain, the loss, the things that are haunting them or are obstacles um, that are there and their desire for freedom, their desire to uh, feel better. And there has to be a lot of conversation about that before you utter the F word, right? <laughs> and uh, over the years, I uh, my, my husband keeps encouraging me to call it something else. Call, don't yeah. call it forgiveness. Everyone hates the word forgiveness. It's really in the way of people adopting it. I'm like, I, but this really just is what it is. You know, we have to keep educating and shifting people's understanding that forgiveness is not saying bad things are okay. Forgiveness is not letting a bad person stay in your life or a person who's not trustworthy. You're not trying to trust someone who's not trustworthy. We, and that's why I, I do love Edith's eight steps uh, because it has all the pieces that allow you to let go and, and yet still have boundaries. You don't have to have this person in your life. You don't have to talk to them, but you do have to do that healing work for yourself. The troublesome uh, word, <laughs> but you know, if people can understand pretty soon on that it's really about healing yourself and freeing yourself and, um, and then making choices around your life and who you let into your life. Um, I feel like I've been saying this, in, you know, 
<laughs> out into the culture for 33 years and mm -hmm. I'm still saying it. Like, no, you don't understand. Forgiveness is, it's not that, it's this. So anyway, I don't have a better word for it. And it's the word that is used in all of the great religions, all the great master teachers taught forgiveness. It is a central message in Christianity, unconditional love and forgiveness. It's, it's, we have to, we have to make friends with this at last. There is no better word for it. Yeah, I know. And usually people, once they experience forgiveness, they get it. I think, you know, more than more than get it. They experience the relief of what that they made friends like. with it. They do. And that's why Aaron and I are doing this podcast and we talk about forgiveness a lot. Mm -hmm. We talk about forgiveness really often because maybe it's Maybe it's going in. Maybe it's going into people's <laughs> ears and brains and hearts and encouraging um, people to uh, choose choose the that attitude, that tool, that method, that way of walking in in life because it's just so much better for us, so much good for our health and for our our joy. Really, in the end, it's not about pain; it's about joy and being purposeful. So, Darla, thank you for for your path and the way that you are in joy and purpose, even though you're showing up to human pain every single darn day. Really, really appreciate you doing that. Thank you, Darla. It was great to hear you uh, share with Mary. And thanks, Mary, for uh, having Darla on here today. And to everybody listening, we uh, thank you for your attention and time. And we will see you next time. Thank you, everybody. Bye. My pleasure. Bye.